coming up on the Rami Lavi podcast, the New York Jets have officially traded for Aaron Rodgers. I said I wasn't going to believe it till it happened. Well, it's happened. I'm still skeptical. I want to see him in the jersey already. But I recorded a full episode. I talked about a whole bunch of things. And then this happened, of course. But obviously, I talked about the Knicks and RJ Barrett taking a commanding 3-1 lead over the Cleveland Cavaliers with two awesome games at home by R.J. Barrett, led by R.J. Barrett at Madison Square Garden. What a weekend at the Garden. The Rangers, unfortunately, lose, but they have a huge game tonight at the Garden, Game 4. Almost a must-win game for the Rangers. I think the winner of this game will win the series. That's tonight at the Garden. NBA playoffs. Jets got Rodgers. Roll it. Let's go. Let's do the full episode. Obviously, after I was done at recording the episode, that's when the Rodgers news broke. So there's going to be an open on Rodgers, and then we'll get into the rest of it. All that and more coming up next on the Rami Love V Podcast. Stay tuned. Oh, but of course, when I finish recording a podcast and I start to edit it, the Jets finally make the Aaron Rodgers trade. I talked about it. I said I was skeptical. I said I wouldn't believe it until I saw it. Well, I see it. It's happened. The Jets officially trade for Aaron Rodgers. I can finally actually celebrate. It was starting to get dicey. You were hearing rumors. He's going elsewhere. They're negotiating with other teams. Oh, should the Jets panic and give in? Should they not panic? Should they? Whatever you want to say. I don't think it's a panic move. I think... You have to have a compromise at some point. The Jets still keep a pick in the first round of this draft, which is important. They swap picks with Rodgers. Um, I talked about this actually with my Jets season ticket rep a while ago. I was like, just swap first round picks and give up an extra second next year, and that'll get the deal done. That's what ultimately gets the deal done. The Jets obviously protected themselves by getting the um, the Elijah Moore trade done. So that's how they get another second round pick for this year. But I had to come on here, of course, and start recording again because the Jets get Aaron Rodgers. The final trade, this is what it looks like. It's Aaron Rodgers and a number 15 pick in this year's draft and a fifth round pick in this year's draft go to the Jets. And then, so basically you swap picks. The Jets give up their 13th pick. So you swap 13 for 15. So you're only moving down by two picks. Um, a second round pick in this year's draft, which is number 42, a sixth round pick in this year's draft, which is number 207. And the next year, a conditional second round pick that becomes a first based on Aaron Rodgers performance this season. Obviously the Packers are not willing to take a chance on Rodgers performance next season. I think it's a fair trade. It look, you have to give to get right now. You have an opportunity. You had to get this deal done. You have an opportunity to be one of the best teams in the league with one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL, one of my favorite quarterbacks in my lifetime. I'm sure we'll get into it a whole lot more, but I recorded a full episode, talked about what an incredible week it was in Madison Square Garden, and my week is only getting better, and the only way it could be ruined is if the Rangers screw it up tonight. Game four against the Devils tonight at Madison Square Garden. I am fired up. I'm excited. Rangers, Devils tonight at the Garden. I talked about it on the podcast. I talked about the Knicks. I talked about everything. We'll start the podcast in a second. But the Jets got Aaron Rodgers. It's official. It's done. I'm so excited. Let's go Jets. J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets. Aaron Rodgers. I don't even know what to say. Aaron Rodgers. One of the things I talk about on this podcast a lot is the stigma against mental health. I think, unfortunately, there has been a stigma, but we're slowly breaking it. And if you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, or maybe you just want to talk to someone, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help access your specific needs and then you get matched with a therapist in another 48 hours plus you can exchange unlimited text messages and everything you share is completely confidential so i talk about on this podcast how your mindset towards things changes everything one of the things that i learned in therapy was that join the 2 million plus people
people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Rami. That's my first name. That's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash R-A-M-I, my first name, Rami. If you use that link, the link is in the description in the podcast notes. If you use that link, you'll get 10% off and it'll also help me out. So please do that. I'm telling you it's worth it. Do it today. Welcome back to the Rami Lavi podcast, episode 144. And what a weekend it was at Madison Square Garden. The Knicks dominated. It was special. The building was special. They win both home games. They're up 3-1 in the series. And in the last 22 years, they've only advanced to the second round of the playoffs once in 2013. And that's it. And I don't really remember a lot of Knicks games from when I was three years old. Because I'm 25 and 22 years ago, I was three. So I don't remember a ton of Knicks games from back then. So the fact that there's a possibility for the Knicks to do this, to advance to the second round for only the second time in the last 22 years, it's the second time I'll ever see it. Obviously, in 2013, they beat Boston to move on to Indiana. And it's incredible. Like what happened this weekend, and I know the Rangers lost a game on Saturday night. They played well, went to overtime. It was fun. And we'll get into the Rangers a little bit later. But I'm starting with the Knicks because it was just special. I have notes. I have takeaways from the game. But what a special environment. I don't remember the Garden looking like that in a long, long time. 2013, I mean, that game against Indiana where they went on that crazy whatever it was. 22 to 3 run or whatever it was with Pablo Prigioni knocking down threes and stuff. That's the last time I remember the Garden kind of being like that. That's 10 years ago. But Friday night was insane. And I think Sunday, a matinee, an afternoon game at Madison Square Garden, the crowd was even crazier. And that was just incredible to watch. It was so loud. You had Mike Breen on the call with Jeff Van Gundy and uh, Mark Jackson. By the way, if I was a fan like can you imagine being a Cavs fan and having to watch this game on national tv and all they're doing is showing pictures of mike and 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 mark and or really mark and jeff together on the Knicks staff and then with tom thibodeau and they're talking about the Knicks legends and they're talking about madison square garden and you have the Knicks play-by-play guy doing the you know essentially doing the play-by-play i would be furious if i i mean and then you go to the the halftime show or whatever it is the pre-game and the post-game show and you have uh, Mike Greenberg, who's a Knicks fan, and you have, I think he's a Knicks fan, and you have Stephen A. Smith, who's a Knicks fan, like doing the halftime. So I would also hate the ESPN broadcast if I wasn't a Knicks fan. I would also hate the Knicks and their fans if I wasn't a Knicks fan, but I am a Knicks fan. I love it. I don't love that they all of a sudden hop on the bandwagon when a lot of the former Knicks are some of the people who hate the Knicks more than anyone. Uh, and plus, we have to put up with like guys like freaking Reggie Miller and Richard Jefferson doing our games also. So it's not like it's perfect. Uh, but it was perfect over this weekend. It was probably the best weekend of basketball, I don't know, in the last 10 years I can remember. So on this episode, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what happened, how we got there in these games. We're also going to talk about the Rangers, their loss, and their huge game coming up tonight at Madison Square Garden against the Devils. A huge, huge, pivotal game four in this series, and I'll explain why. We're also going to talk about the second weekend of NBA playoff basketball recap, what happened this past weekend in the playoffs and see, uh, got to preview what's going to happen moving forward. But we start with the Knicks. We start with Madison regarding games three and four and what led them to victory. And it's starts and ends with one thing, one person, 
R.J. Barrett. R.J. Barrett. Here's the thing. When you get booed like that, when you're not performing, when you're a guy who was a lottery pick, when you're a guy who almost was traded, when you're a guy who Knicks fans look to you in year three, they look at the guy who was drafted right above you and John Morant and some other people who were drafted in the lottery as a third overall pick, and they look to you to be the leader, to be the guy on this team, and you've been inconsistent, and not only that, you've struggled mightily in the first two games of the series, and the Knicks fans turned their back on you, and I said on this podcast what I said on this podcast, which I'm not going to repeat, and Cavs fans are making fun of you and everyone else, and there's tweets and uh, Reddit threats and all these things putting you down and saying, you're not that guy, you're not capable, and you go into your home building, which is a hostile environment, and can get pretty grumpy if you're not performing, and you come out and have those two games, specifically what he did, you don't put your head down, you don't hang your head, you just put your head down, you don't hang it, you put your head down and go to work, and you earn it, and that's what he did, and that's what's great about New York sports, because as quickly as you'll get booed, those boos can turn to cheers just as quickly, you listening to me? Aaron Hicks, you hear me, Joey Gallo? R.J. Barrett is the proof of what's so great about being an athlete in New York. Yeah, they booed him. They were so down on him. I wanted him benched. I said he can't be on the court. If he can't shoot, he can't get to the rim, he can't finish, don't play him. And then he comes out in game three when they were trapping Jalen Brunson And making it very difficult for the Knicks to score. And Julius Randle, who's been your best player all year, is giving you nothing. And he took over. He kept them in that game in that first quarter. He's been the hero of the last two games. He hit a huge three in that game. When nobody could hit a shot early in that game on either side. He ends up with 19 points in game three. But the 19 points were pivotal. Every time the Knicks needed a bucket early, he was the one who kept them in that game. The Knicks don't have the opportunity to pull away late like they did in that game if R.J. Barrett isn't doing what he does early in that game and then game four. Early in the game again, he starts scoring. And then when the Cavs went on a run, who was the one who came in and weathered the storm? Who was the one who got them five straight points to start the fourth quarter? It was R.J. Barrett. R.J. Barrett was the key to the Knicks winning. And not only that, he was doing exactly what I said. And he said it in the post game. He said, yeah, I saw they were doubling Jalen Brunson. They were sending a big towards him. So I just got the ball from him and made. I knew I could make something happen. He drove in the lane, exactly what I said before the series started, exactly what I said before game two. Also, he drove in the lane and was able to dump it off to the bigs cutting. He was able to kick it out, that pin down screen that Hartenstein does for corner threes for quickly. Everything he was doing in this game, whether it led to points, rebounds, assists, whatever it was, He was awesome in this game. It's a new career high for him, 26 points. And every single one of those 26 was super impactful and huge in the moment. I wish he would still hit free throws. But his defense has been excellent. He stepped up on the defensive side. That's something that I noticed right away at the beginning of game three, where game two, his defense started to get affected by the fact that he wasn't hitting his shots and he was losing his confidence. Game three... His defensive intensity came out from the start and almost helped his offensive side. He almost flipped it like, okay, now I'm going to use my defensive intensity to get me going on offense. He was knocking down his threes. He's getting to the rim and finishing at the rim. He's making passes. 
he's been the undeniable X factor in this series because he's defending with one of the best players, if it, either Garland or Mitchell, whoever he's defending on one end. And he's been the guy who, when Randall's struggling and Brunson's getting double teamed, he's been the guy who's been facilitating and scoring for the Knicks on the other side. And then he opens it up for Jalen Brunson because you can't double Jalen if RJ is going to be able to make plays off ball and cut and get to the rim and get everyone else involved and make all the right decisions and make all the right reads. This is the guy the Knicks thought they were getting when they drafted him third overall. And he's finally on the biggest stage of his career showing up and being that guy. And that's incredible to watch. And that's the story of New York. That's the story of the Knicks. That's the story of this team. And I love to see it. And every Knicks fan is thrilled to see it. I think the point in the game that was the most poignant that really you felt this it was when the Cavs tied it at 75 with 10 minutes to go in the game. Where'd they go to? Who'd they go to? Who'd they look to? They're trapping, right? They're trapping Jalen Brunson. Randall's not even in the game at this point because he was pretty much unplayable, and we'll get to him a little bit later. They went to R.J. Barrett. He scores five consecutive points, gets the rim twice. One of them was an and one, and he hits the free throw. Then he gets another two points, and then he drives to the rim and dumps it off to Isaiah Hartenstein, who has gets fouled and goes to the line. So he created seven consecutive points for the Knicks in that spot the second it was tied at 75. So who'd they turn to? Who was the guy who took over in the game whenever they needed someone to quote-unquote take over? Brunson was steady the entire time, right? Brunson was that guy the entire time. But just like Brunson took over in game one down the stretch, R.J. Barrett took over in game four down the stretch. And like I said, he was the one who got them going in game three, just like Randall got them going in game one. RJ was the one who got them going to start the game in game three and get them off on the right foot. And since I mentioned Julius a couple of times already, shout out to Tom Thibodeau. What Tom Thibodeau did in games three and four, we talked about, I said, it's your move, right? Chess move. It's back and forth. That's how a playoff series goes. That's what makes playoff series awesome. He made all the right moves. He made the proper adjustments, both offensively and defensively. And credit the players because defensively, there's only so much a coach can do. He's telling them to trap and rotate and leave the shooters open in the corner, leave guys like Okoro and Osman open in the corner and then close out on them, but also have to recover for the bigs, right? The two the two Cleveland bigs, those are guys you have to worry about. And they did it. The, the players were able to do it. The, the defensive intensity in order to run around like that, if you're trapping and still recovering in time, has to be insane. You can't let up for even a split second. Otherwise, you're giving up easy layups at the rim. The Knicks' defensive intensity was awesome in this game. If not for an incredible run by Darius Garland in the third quarter, this game would have been a blowout much like game three, and we'll get to Garland in a minute. The movement on offense, it was an emphasis clearly from the start of game three. I said R.J. Barrett stepped up, but it was clearly an emphasis to try and find other ways to run the offense. Jalen Brunson wasn't bringing the ball up the court or holding the ball that much, dribbling the ball that much to start game three. They clearly were saying, hey, look, we have other options. We have other ways to score. And I know they didn't score a ton, but the point is they showed you that they could do other things. The movement without the ball was so important. And to get the ball out of Jalen Brunson's hands early was so important to what they were to set up, what they were able to do the rest of that game. And when the Cavs went small, because eventually the Cavs were like, hey, we can't keep up with this because they're moving so much. The Cavs went small. They had to take off one of their bigs because they couldn't trap. They couldn't send the second guy at Barrett or at Brunson if they knew that the Knicks were going to keep moving and keep rotating, keep getting easy buckets at the rim, and then also open for wide open threes. So they had to take out one of Mobley or Allen, which is crazy. That is the strength of their team. And credit the Knicks bigs. Credit Isaiah Hartenstein. Credit Mitchell Robinson, who had an incredible game in game four. Credit those two guys 
for by far, by far outplaying the two bigs for Cleveland. But when Cleveland had to sit one of their bigs, they went small. Tibbs matched it. He's like, okay, I'll put Hartenstein in. Our Hartenstein's more talented offensively. If you're only going to have one big guy in there, fine, I'll keep Hartenstein in there. I'll go even smaller and still wreck with what you're trying to do. His adjustments in game, his, I mean, I don't remember a time that he would trust a guy like Deuce McBride, a young kid, a second year player, to defend the number one player on the other team, to defend Donovan Mitchell. This is a guy who was back and forth in the G League this year. And Deuce McBride, credit to him, he comes in, he gets the opportunity. Obviously, you know, Grimes is hurt. Grimes hasn't played since the second half of game two of game three. So obviously there was a reason why he had to play Deuce McBride, but he trusts him. He puts him out there. He hits a huge three for you. He has incredible defense. He gets a block on Mitchell uh, on uh, Donovan Mitchell. So giving your young guys that confidence and giving them the option to go out there and make those plays. Tibbs is not as stubborn. This is what I've been saying the last few months. It started the beginning of the season when he shrunk the lineup, but Tibbs is not as stubborn as he once was. And you saw the development of Coach Tom Thibodeau over the course of this season. And the last thing and the biggest thing was leaving Randall on the bench. Um, I was sitting next to my friend Rob at work while we were watching this game at MLB Network, and we were pretty locked in. I had my headphones on. Obviously, I was working, but I also had my headphones on locked into the uh, ESPN ABC broadcast. And the beginning of the fourth quarter starts, and I see the energy from Hartenstein and from Toppin, and I looked over to my friend, and I said, he can't change this lineup. This lineup came out into the fourth quarter and really closing the third quarter so strongly, and Randall was on the floor to close the third quarter. I said, I don't think he can go away from this lineup right now. There's no way he can go away, and they, they t- kept talking about it on the broadcast. Is he going to stick with it? And they were talking about it a little bit later. I said it right at the beginning. Of the, of the fourth quarter, I was like, they, they can't go away from this lineup. The way this lineup is playing, the way the ball is moving, moving the energy. And they kept, or Tom Thibodeau decided to keep his best player, the team's best player, the team's leader on the bench the entire fourth quarter. And it takes guts to do that because if that doesn't work, that's the first thing they're going to ask you, right? And even if it does work, now can you go back to him in the fourth quarter? Like, how does this work when you have a guy who, you know, has a bit of an ego, has obviously a bit of some sort of emotional thing where he sometimes loses his emotions. And yet, not only did he keep him on the bench, but Julius Randle wasn't sulking. He wasn't sitting there. He was the first guy, just like Obi Toppin, late in games, is dancing up and down on the bench. Julius Randle was just as enthusiastic and just as engaged on the bench, he was rooting for his teammates. He was the first one up during the timeouts, high-fiving them. He was helping them. He was talking to the coaches. He was making sure everything was going according to plan. And 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 he was rooting for his teammates. And they all said it after the game. Tom Thibodeau obviously said the right things after the game that it has more to do with his injury than with the way he played. He's, he's obviously not going to throw his best player under the bus and say he stunk. Um, but Randall, for the most part, did stink. I can say that. Uh, and Brunson said, hey, all Julius cares about is winning. It doesn't matter. And it seemed like that. They mentioned it on the broadcast. I know Mark Jackson happens to be a huge Julius Randle fan, but he kept saying it on the broadcast, watch Julius Randle's body language on the bench. I wasn't there, so I don't know, but you could see it on the broadcast from time to time. He was excited. He was fired up for his teammates. And again, even later, he had the guts to do that, but he also took Hartenstein out for Robinson late in the game where Hartenstein was having an incredible stretch and he took him out when he would normally make that substitution. Maybe the last four minutes, he would normally take out Hartenstein and Obi and put in Randall and Mitchell Robinson. 
And when he made that substitution, he still left Randall on the bench. So he doubled down on it later in the fourth quarter. So that was a decision that's a tough decision to make. I don't know how often that will happen. I hope Julius Randle turns back into the Julius Randle we've seen the last couple of years. But we saw this in the playoffs against Atlanta. And maybe it's just the two bigs. I, I don't know. We didn't really see him once Cleveland went to that smaller lineup. Although he, he did have some success later in the third quarter when the Cleveland already did go a little bit smaller. So I'm not sure. I know that Mobley is one of the best defenders. He's long. He's strong. And there's a lot that he can do that disrupts uh, what Julius Randle is trying to do. So maybe it's just a matchup thing for this series. Maybe if they advance to the next round, we'll see Julius Randle again. But the point is, right now, they needed Julius Randle to not be out there. That was the best decision for the team. And Tom Thibodeau was willing to make that decision. You want to talk about another decision he made. This one's a little bit lighter. It's a little bit funnier. But the crowd chanting for Derrick Rose late in Game 3. That's, it was, the Knicks were up 27. You forget because the final score was only 20. Was only 20. The Knicks were up 27 at that point. And he puts Derrick Rose in. He... Um, listens to the crowd, which you wouldn't expect Tom Thibodeau. They're like, they said on the broadcast, ah, Tom Thibodeau is getting soft. I'm, I forget who said it. I think it was um, Clyde who said it on the Knicks broadcast with Kenny Albert. But he's like, ah, oh, Tom Thibodeau is getting soft. He's he's listening to the crowd. He's acquiescing to the crowd, I'm pretty sure is what uh, Clyde said. And he did, though. He put um, Derrick Rose back in that game. But just hearing the crowd appreciate Derrick Rose and what he does, because think about it, I keep saying this. Go back two years ago, the number one guy on this team was Derrick Rose. He was their entire offense. He was leading the team. And now to think he's riding the bench, but the crowd goes nuts for him. He comes into the game, gets a couple minutes there. I expect to see Randall back and getting big minutes in game five after a couple of days off. But I'm not worried anymore that Tom Thibodeau is going to be stubborn and not willing to change his ways. He's going to play the hot hand. He's going to do whatever it takes to win. And I think that's one of the most impressive things, the way he's adjusted himself as a coach. Also, I mentioned Isaiah Hartenstein. His energy and defense late in the third quarter and early in the fourth quarter, it won't show up in a box score, some of the things he did. I know he also had a big block, but and he pushed the pace. But he brought the Knicks back into that game because the Knicks were trying to figure out ways to weather the storm, right? The Knicks couldn't figure out what to do as Darius Garland is going off and the Cavs take the lead. It's similar to game one where the Cavs took that one-point lead, but that was obviously much later in the game. This third quarter, the Knicks looked like a wreck. And before Hartenstein comes in, the only guy who actually had anything going was Mitchell Robinson. The Knicks' first four points of the third quarter were putbacks by Mitchell Robinson. Otherwise, they would have been getting blown out. And yet still, Tibbs is pushing all the right buttons. He brings Hartenstein in and not only... Did Hartenstein play so well, but he brought the crowd back into it. It was energy plays. It's hustle plays, plays that get the crowd going. And once the crowd got back behind them, um, that's huge. Late in that quarter, Randall also got to the line a couple of times. That's how he got some of his points by forcing the issue. Like I said, once they went a little bit smaller, Randall played tough. And then Randall had a huge block. And from that point on, I'm pretty sure I saw this, that the Cavs were on like a 32-12 to 12 run something not 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 that extreme but close to that and then once Randall got that block the Knicks outscored the Cavs I think by 12 points the rest of the way or 13 points the rest of the game um also at the end of the third quarter as the Cavs are going on that run Jalen Brunson hits a huge three at the end of the third quarter to give the Knicks the lead and from that point the Knicks they almost didn't look back the game still gets tied late of course we had a couple of huge threes in the fourth quarter the premature bang with four minutes to go from R.J. Barrett, 
it was so loud in there. Mike Breen didn't hear the whistle after uh, Josh Hart traveled before passing it to RJ Barrett. The building would have exploded if he actually hit that three or if that three actually stood for RJ. But everyone in the fourth quarter, the energy from Obi, the offensive rebounds from Obi. Obi Toppin, when he had that layup where he ran all the way around the court, he had a huge three early in the game also on the on the right wing. Uh, that was like a deep 3-2 for Obi Toppin, Mitchell Robinson. And look, here's the thing about Darius Garland. If you look at it from a Cleveland perspective, Darius Garland is streaky. He's going to be streaky. He's been streaky throughout this series. The Knicks have kind of been like, okay, let's let you cook, see what happens. Um, and sometimes it's worked out for them, and sometimes it hasn't. In the second half of this game, Darius Garland was awesome. In game two, Darius Garland was awesome. The rest of the time, Darius Garland has stunk. So it's almost like the Knicks are willing to live and die with the ups and downs and the streaks of Darius Garland. And if they're willing to do that, then that means that he's the key for them to win. Because their best player is not playing like a best player, which we'll get to in a second. The only thing that the Knicks could have done better in Game 4, I think, was make more free throws. I talked about RJ missing free throws, but really the entire team was missing free throws. And I talked about this after Game 1, but it's almost more impressive the fact that the Cavs came back into this game and had that incredible run in them. Because... Just like the Knicks sustained the push from Cleveland in game one where the Knicks had a, like, what was it, a 10-point lead in game one, and then they end up going down by one, and they come back with those huge buckets like I talked about by Brunson. The same thing happened. This was multiple pushes, that huge push to start the second half by Cleveland, and then later in the third, they kept coming back. They tied again in the fourth quarter, and the Knicks were able to sustain those runs, and the reason they were able to sustain those runs is because they've played so many of these games early in the year where they had leads and lost the leads, and they lost those games early in the year. But now they're learning how to win in those games. They're learning how to win in those environments. And that's key. You have to have that experience. And you have to have those leaders to repeat that over and over and go through those experience. And now it's paying off for them here in the playoffs. It's not just one guy. It's not just Brunson. Like we saw in game one, it was Brunson. But now it's not that guy, whether it's Hart, whether it's Hartenstein, whether it's Quickly, whether it's Toppin, whether it's RJ Barrett, who was the leader of them all in this game. They're sustaining the runs. They keep coming back. Mitchell Robinson keeps coming back. Even Julius Randle, like I said, late in that third quarter, kept coming back. And it's a resiliency that this team has. Look, in game three, the Cavs just sucked, right? They're the only team this entire NBA season to score under 80 points in a game. And huge credit to the Knicks defense for that. But the Knicks had a 27-point lead with two minutes to go. Obviously, the game ends in a 20-point game. But they didn't suck in game four. Game four, they did not suck at all. Game four... Garland had 11 points and four assists in the first six minutes of the second half. He was going off the way people don't generally go off. And they took the lead multiple times, tied it later, and the Knicks kept coming back. They kept pushing. And by the way, it didn't help. Like The Knicks couldn't get any calls to go their way either. It was like, oh my God, Scott Foster has entered the chat. I wrote that at some point as the Cavs are going on the run because it seemed like every time the Knicks tried to get back into it, there was a call that would go against them. But it didn't matter. They didn't get flustered. They didn't get frustrated. They just kept going. In game, I mentioned this before, but in game three or game four, rather, Donovan Mitchell had 42, 42 minutes played, only 11 points on five for 18 shooting. He had six turnovers and committed four fouls. And he didn't score in the second half till two minutes remaining in the fourth, which were his only two points of the second half. So Donovan Mitchell sucked. And it's partially because of the defense that they were playing on him. He had some open looks in that fourth quarter. He had an open three. He had an open fallaway jumper that he didn't hit. So he had some open looks in the fourth quarter. But really, the defense they played on him, trapping him and denying the ball and making him uncomfortable, 
or Deuce McBride's one-on-one defense with him. That's why he was not good in that game. And obviously, he's going to be better. I don't expect him to be this bad. But his two games at Madison Square Garden where I expected him to go off, they were not very good. But while I expect him to get better, I don't expect him to play this poorly. And really, I don't even know what to expect from Mobley anymore or from Allen anymore because they've been by far outplayed. The Knicks will live with guys like Darius Garland being your only offense. They'll live with Karis LeVert having to carry you for stretches, which he did at times in Game 2, Game 3, and Game 4. The Knicks will live with that. They'll be okay with that. Because as long as they're shutting down Mitchell, that's the main thing. Make other guys beat you. And like I said, Garland's streaky, so at times he'll quote-unquote shut down himself. But just like the Cavs have so much they can improve on, this team is much better than the way they've played the last two games. How much better can the Knicks get? The Knicks can get so much better too. Think about Randall. We haven't seen much out of Randall. We haven't seen anything out of Julius Randall since the first half of game one. Think about Quentin Grimes. He's been hurt for the last game and a half. The Knicks haven't had him. Imagine you add him to this. Emmanuel quickly has barely contributed, although he's been very good on the defensive end. They've, they've missed a ton of free throws. And these are three guys who have been huge contributions or huge contributors, I should say, for the Knicks all season long. This is not just anyone. These are three of the Knicks' main pieces that have barely done anything yet in this series. And yet the Knicks have a 3-1 lead in this series. That just tells you one thing. This is the definition of team. T-E-A-M. This team as a whole, as a unit, as one, they come together and they play together. And so when other guys aren't playing well, the other guys are stepping up. And that's something that no other team in the NBA has right now. Yes, the difference between a championship team and the difference between a team that's just middle of the pack or a decent playoff team is always the top two superstars. But find me another roster in the league that's one through 10, really, because that's how many players essentially play for the Knicks. One through 10 is this deep and every single guy can contribute on a different night. Whether it's Mitchell one night, whether it's Hartenstein another night, Josh Hart, I didn't even talk about him yet and the contributions he's given. I mentioned after game two, they're going to need better contributions to him. How about the contributions from him? Whether he's knocking down jumpers, getting offensive rebounds, and look how loose the team is. This team loves each other. They play for each other. They play with each other. They talked about it going into the playoffs. Like, what makes this team special is like, well, we really love one another. We really care about one another. And that's, I think, why Julius Randle is up on the bench cheering for his teammates when he's being benched in the fourth quarter of a tight playoff game. There was a couple of videos because I, I posted the video of Josh Hart singing during the game, which is hilarious. He's singing Don't Stop Believing. He's terrible. But this is like during a tight game in the playoffs. He's singing during the commercial break, just sitting on the bench. They're loose. Somebody else sent me a video of them warming up for the second half, like between the first and second half in a tight game. And they're all just messing around. They're having a good time. They're really just having fun out there. They're so loose, whereas Cleveland is so tight. That's why the team can go a long way because they are so special. They are the definition of team. Like I said, Hart one night, Hartenstein another night, Mitchell Robinson another night, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson, Emmanuel Quickly, Quentin Grimes, Deuce McBride, whoever it is, Obi Toppin, of course, whoever it is contributing, it's always going to be someone else every night. There's always going to be someone else to step up. And how do you prepare for that? Like I talked about with the Cavs, like the Knicks are daring them to make Chetty Osman and Karis LeVert, and um, who was who else? Is, Akor, Isaac Okoro be their top dogs. And those guys just aren't those guys. The Knicks, they pretty much dared R.J. Barrett to be the top guy. The Cavs did with their defense, the way they were playing defense. And R.J. was like, okay, I'll do it. And 
that's what's so special about this team. Um, and if you think about it, and I saw Alan Hahn and Mike Greenberg tweeted this out, two of the biggest players in this game for the Knicks would have been guys that would have gone back in a Donovan Mitchell trade. So you think about what Donovan Mitchell did in this game and the struggles that he had in this game and how he's an individual player who got shut down by the Knicks defense and there was nowhere else really for the Cavs to turn outside of Darius Garland. And now you look at the other side and you look at two guys, multiple guys making huge contributions in R.J. Barrett, Obi Toppin, and Mitchell Robinson, really three guys making huge contributions down the stretch of this game and multiple points in this game. And those are all guys who would have gone back in a Donovan Mitchell trade. Aren't you happy you have those three guys and you don't have Donovan Mitchell? I'd still love Donovan Mitchell on this team, but I always say the trade wasn't going to be a fair trade. And those guys were incredible. And I thought about this also. Um, and by the way, when you look at Robinson and, and Toppin, offensive rebounds in game four, Mitchell Robinson had seven and Obi Toppin had five. The Cavs entire team combined had seven. So when you think about the contributions that those two guys made, it was huge. And I was thinking about who were the, the players, these players that made a huge impact in this game for the Knicks. Who are the biggest, who are the guys who played down the stretch of this game and made the biggest impact? Mitchell Robinson drafted by the Knicks. RJ Barrett drafted by the Knicks. Obi Toppin drafted by the Knicks. Emmanuel Quickly drafted by the Knicks. Josh Hart was an in-season trade that pretty much went onto the radar. No one was like, oh, it's a great trade. It's a huge trade. Once he got here, everyone's like, oh my God, what a trade. Jalen Brunson was a guy who people yelled. I, I, I took a picture of this because here's what people said on Twitter and other social media platforms after the Knicks gave Jalen Brunson $110 million. Uh, whenever I think a player gets overpaid, I remind myself that Jalen Brunson got $100 million. Everything else seems reasonable when I think of that. That's one tweet. Overpaid Brunson doesn't help the Knicks. That's another one. I'm sorry, but Jalen Brunson getting four years, $110 million isn't good. He had a couple of breakout games. Now his worth, now he's worth that type of money. Overrated and overpaid. He is definitely going to flop. It goes on and on. There's like 10, 15, more than that. 30 of these tweets that I screenshotted because I wanted to go back to see what people were actually saying after they signed him. That's a great signing. And then Isaiah Hartenstein, an under-the-radar two-year $16 million deal that no one really talked about or thinks about. It's not going to make major headlines. But this front office, and by the way, Deuce McBride also had some big minutes, but this front office has gotten the job done. And so when you think about it and you think about, oh, they made the wrong trade or they didn't do this trade or they had this trade on the table and they didn't get Mitchell and blah, blah, blah. This front office knows what they're doing and you trust them. Think about it. Those five guys I mentioned that were drafted and the other three guys, and that's before mentioning guy, the guy who's been the best player for the team undeniably this season. And I didn't even mention Quentin Grimes, who was also drafted by his team because he didn't play in this game. So the fact that this front office has put together this team, has built the team the right way by building it from the ground up, building it through the draft, building it through developing your young stars. And the fact I talked about this months ago is Tibbs going to be on the same page with the front office? Will he start to develop the young guys? Will he play the young guys more? I talked about it before I went to one of the games at the Garden, maybe the game against the Spurs this year. I talked about it on my podcast, and Tibbs is now on board. Tibbs is working hand-in-hand with the front office. They're working together to develop these young guys. He's playing guys big minutes, these young guys. He's playing Obi Toppin in crunch time. He's giving Deuce McBride the assignment to take the best player on the other team and shut him down. That tells you everything you need to know about this team. They work together and they're moving in the right direction. So no matter what happens this season, no matter what happens the rest of the way in this series even, they are in good hands and they're moving in the right direction. And as long as they don't overreact, as long as the owner doesn't meddle, 
this is really headed the right way. And I think it's becoming clear and obvious, and it has to be clear and obvious what this team is doing right now. This is not, this did not happen overnight. This happened over a stretch of building a time. It was a slow build. That's fine though. I know superstars win for you in the NBA, but the fact that they were able to put this team together, the way they've built this team, I fully trust this front office right now to continue to develop this team. And I trust this head coach to continue to develop it the right way. Now, when you look at the playoff picture and the Knicks are up 3-1 and I keep talking about that there's a chance they could go to the second round, it's pretty easy to say, oh my God, they're one win away. But there's a long, long way to go. And before I say where this could lead to, I just want to point this out. I know game five in Cleveland is going to be a difficult, difficult game to win. The Cavs get to go home with their home fans excited. Yeah, they're on the ropes, but Donovan Mitchell at home, I think he's going to go off. And then if you think about it, they send it back to game six at Madison Square Garden. Like, I think the Knicks need to wrap it up wrap it up on the road in Cleveland. Because if Cleveland wins and sends it back to game six, all the pressure is on the Knicks. You don't want to have to go back to Cleveland for a game seven. So all the pressure becomes on the Knicks on Friday night at the Garden at home to close out the series. And you think Donovan Mitchell is going to have a third terrible game at Madison Square Garden. That's the game that he sticks it to the Knicks. And then they go home for game seven. So if the Knicks are smart, they got to get it done on the road. They got to take care of business, close it out in game five on the road in Cleveland. It's a huge, huge game for the Knicks. If they don't close it out in game five, I'd be very nervous that the Knicks could end up losing this series. I'm serious. I'm not kidding. I know how they played. I know they played really well at home. The two games that they played at home, but I'd be really scared about this series if the Knicks don't close it out on Wednesday night in Cleveland. I'm just saying that. But that said, if the Knicks find a way to move on in this series, we know Giannis is back tonight for Milwaukee, and we'll talk about that series in a minute. But that series is tied 1-1, and the star players in that series seem to be dropping like flies. Milwaukee always seems to have health issues with some of their big guys. The same goes for Miami. You really don't think the Knicks can beat one of those teams? If they're beat up, if they're injured, if Giannis isn't playing... I think the Knicks can beat them. This team can go a long way. They play for each other. They love each other. And they could go far. And like Brunson said after the game, he's like, I'm not excited. I'm not happy. The job's not done. We won a game. Great. Keep your head down. Keep working. That's that's what Brunson, the leader of this team, said. But just one more shout out to Madison Square Garden, the fans this weekend. And we make a fool of ourselves. Yeah, they shut down 7th Avenue. They celebrate. They're chanting all these things. By the way, if you're still chanting F. Trey Young, go home. You're not a real Knicks fan. I'm sorry. But the chanting, the celebrating, all that stuff, it definitely will and might come back to bite the Knicks in the ass whenever they do get knocked out of the playoffs. I know that. But I'm still going to enjoy it while it's here, while it's still going on. I'm still going to enjoy every moment of it. Uh, So that's all I got to say about the Knicks. I, I hope they can close it in five. I think I've done like 30 minutes, 35 minutes on the Knicks so far. So hopefully the Knicks can close out this series. But again, R.J. Barrett, Tom Thibodeau, Josh Hart, Jalen Brunson, Obi Toppin, team, one through 15, whatever deep you want to go. And of course, the fans, everyone playing their role and playing a huge role in this series. It's been awesome to watch. I don't take it for granted. Like I said, it would only be the second time I 22 in the last 22 years, really the only years I've been a fan of the Knicks, that they've advanced to the second round of the playoffs. I do not take that for granted. I'm going to enjoy every second of it. And I hope they can keep it going in game five in Cleveland. And if not, hopefully they find a way to sustain a major push by Donovan Mitchell and the Knicks in game six at Madison Square Garden.
Let's move on to some of the other series. Like I said, Game 5 will be Wednesday at 7 p.m. in Cleveland. But tonight we have Milwaukee and Miami. That series looks like a series right now. Miami has a 2-1 lead. It's Game 4. And like I said, the players keep dropping like flies. And as the bodies keep dropping, we know Giannis will be back. And the question is, maybe... Milwaukee knew, hey, it's fine. We can spot Miami a 2-1 lead in this series. Let's rest Giannis. Let's make sure he's fully healthy. And then an angry, rested Giannis Antetokounmpo will come back in game four and absolutely go off the rest of the series and will win in six or seven, but we'll be fine. Maybe. Or these teams just continue to beat each other up. Giannis is not fully 100%. There's no one 100% on the Heat side. And then the winner of Cleveland and New York gets a beat-up team that just played seven games. Now, if Cleveland wins, this series will go to seven, and the series could still go to seven even if the Knicks win. That's why I think it's important for the Knicks, if you're a Knicks fan, you want to see them close it out as quickly as possible. And think about it. They're a game ahead. So let Milwaukee and Miami keep beating each other up and keep playing. So even if you get Milwaukee, it's not going to be till after they play at least six games and get beat up by Miami. And that's your best shot. I don't think the Knicks can beat Milwaukee if they're healthy or Cleveland for that matter. But I think either one of those teams can beat Miami for sure because they'd have home court advantage too against Miami. So this series is going to be interesting to follow. Tonight is a huge matchup. If Miami goes up 3-1, the series might be over. And if Giannis is not fully healthy, the series might be over. But if Giannis is rested, healthy, and angry, then this could be, again, the team that I picked to go to the finals, the team that I thought was really the best team in the NBA going into the playoffs when they're all healthy and all going well right at the same time. Like I said, game four is tonight at 7.30, Monday night at 7.30 in Miami. Another series, Memphis in LA. This is the late game today, 10 p.m. in LA. Look, LeBron went off like I said he would. He didn't cover the points, so I did not win my bet. I bet all overs on his um, props. He did not cover most of them. He didn't cover the threes. He didn't cover the points, and he didn't cover the assists. So, he really just had a lot of rebounds. No, but he had a great game. He did have a great game in the series. He was facilitating for everyone else. There was a video of him kind of like saying to um, Dylan Brooks, like, hey, you're not doing anything. You're just hurting your team. Like almost like in a mentorship way, not even in a, it was during shoot around, like before the game. It wasn't during the game. It was Obviously, there's always cameras on him, but it actually seemed like a genuine uh, moment from LeBron where he was just like trying to help a guy who clearly like is hurting his team more than he's helping his team. Meanwhile, um, Dylan Brooks said the only thing, the only reason he was thrown out of that game was because of a narrative. That's not true. You weren't thrown out of a game because of a narrative, but Anthony Davis looks really good. LeBron looks really good. And I keep saying this, they lead two one in this series game four tonight. This series could be over and the Lakers, if they start to get comfortable, they could really go on a run. I like the role pieces. I like Ru- what Rui's been able to do. I like what Dennis Schroeder has been able to do. Obviously Reeves, and some of those guys, I still think D'Angelo Russell could think, hey, it's it's D'Lo time and shoot you out of a game that way. But when he's not being that guy, when he's contributing, he actually can make a real positive contribute. You kind of need that guy, that irrational confidence guy coming off the bench at certain times in a playoff series to get you a bunch of points either late in the second or early in the third quarter, late in the third quarter, uh, just to be a, a buckets getter for you while your main guys, while your top unit rests. Speaking of getting a bucket for you, John Morant has 40 points in the game and they lose. Look, I keep saying this. I'd still rather have him in his 40 than not. But I keep saying this. Him scoring a bunch of points is not necessarily leading to wins. It makes you one-dimensional in certain ways. I Again, 
Would I take Ja and his 40 over not having it? Of course, every single time. But the one game they've won so far in the series was without Ja. I don't know. I, I really don't. So we'll see how the rest of the series develops. Game four is Monday tonight in LA at 10 p.m. Brooklyn and Philly, the series is over. I don't think we properly estimated how bad Brooklyn is. Will Philly be challenged is the question. Like, will they be able to turn it on when they are challenged? Because if they have to play Boston in the second round, which is looking likely they will, um, they're going to be challenged. And how hurt is Embiid? Is Joel Embiid hurt? He got hurt in game four of that game. Injuries always happen in the playoffs. They always play a big role in the playoffs, and we'll talk about it in a little bit when we talk about another team. We've already talked about it in the Miami series with Milwaukee and Giannis, and we'll talk about it with two the two other series coming up uh, because there's breaking news from earlier today. Um, but how hurt is Embiid, and will this rest really help them? Could this be a huge advantage that actually propels them? Like I said, if, my, if Milwaukee gets caught in a tough series, even Boston has to play at least one more game before they can move on. This could really bode well for Philly. Philly could actually end up, I don't know, rolling through the Eastern Conference. Could this actually be Philly's year? The other option, obviously, is Atlanta and Boston. Uh, Boston doesn't look great. They're up 3-1, but they don't look great. Atlanta's been hanging with them, kind of. Um, And I think it's important for them to close out in Game 5. Game 5 is Tuesday at 7.30 in Boston, and I really think it's important for them to close out so that they can rest up before the Philly series. And what I've seen from them is too much taking turns. I've seen smart. Now it's your turn. Then it's Jalen's turn. Then it's Jason's turn. Then it's Brogdon's turn. All going one-on-one. There hasn't been a cohesion to the way they've been playing. That was what was so special about the way they played with Ime Udoka last year. He's obviously not there. And can Missoula get them to play the team basketball they played that got them to the finals last year? Look, all you have to do is survive in advance. I know that if they can survive against the pretty bad Atlanta team and advance. I still think down the stretch of games, having all those options, having Brogdon out there, having White out there, having Smart out there, having uh, obviously Tatum and Brown out there is huge for them. And it's an advantage that no one has that they can go to so many different options late in a game. Uh, But can they play together as a unit to to get to that point where you're in the games late in the game. Um, and by the way, just a shout out to Al Horford. He's such a winning player. You talk about 16 game players. You talk about guys who are winning players and make winning plays. Al Horford seems like every time there's a big play that needs to be made in the game, he's the one making it. Like I said, game five, hopefully a closeout game for Boston's sake, 7.30 in Boston on Tuesday night. Denver and Minnesota, Jokic is awesome. We saw one of the strangest games last night and it seems like they're just toying with them. It's like, yeah, sure, we'll give you a win, Minnesota. And then even still, Minnesota up 12 points with two minutes to go, and they give up a 12-0 run in two minutes. Michael Porter Jr. had two huge threes, and they send it to overtime, and then again in overtime, it's like, yeah, we're just going to let you win. And then again in overtime, they take a, what was it, a seven-point lead that they almost blew? But luckily for them, it gets down to one, and Anthony Edwards hits a huge three. Anthony Edwards has been awesome in this series. And I'm not old enough to remember like LeBron on the early Cavs teams from about 03 to 07. But I imagine that this is what it looked like, that the teams weren't that good. And there was just this young kid going off and carrying the team as much as he possibly could. That's what I imagine Anthony Edwards looks like. And as an NBA fan right now, I wasn't an NBA fan from 03 to 07. But as an NBA fan right now, that's the closest thing I can imagine what LeBron looked like in those series is. And this guy is so special. He's going to be, he already is, but he's going to be once he becomes consistent, one of the premier, premier players in this league, he's not phased by the moment. The way he hit that three, it just the net barely even moved. He hits that crossover step back three on the wing. 
as the shot clock is winding down to make it a four-point game and essentially ice the game and win the game. You have all these guys like Gobert who have been in big series. You have a guy like Towns who's obviously a big-time player and is supposed to be a superstar. Conley, all these guys. And the guy who's making the biggest plays throughout this game for Minnesota um, was Anthony Edwards. Now, as far as Denver on the other side, I'm not concerned. They look like when they want to turn it on, they turn it on. And they just didn't really care that much about this game. I'm sure they'll win in Game 5 with Jokic. The fact that Michael Porter Jr. is playing like this is huge for them because you. we always ask who's going to step up around Jokic throughout these playoffs. And it looks like they found the answer with Murray, with Michael Porter Jr., with Aaron Gordon. All these guys are stepping up in the right way for this team at the right time. So game five is Tuesday night at 9 p.m. in Denver. And I, like I said, I think they should close it out there. The Clippers and Phoenix series. And to me, it's just a shame. Because for the first three games, uh, or the first two games, I should say, Kawhi Leonard was the best player in the playoffs. He looked awesome. He looked engaged. He looked locked in on both sides. He was scoring at will. He was shutting down Kevin Durant. And the fact that they don't have him, they didn't have Paul George. This is a team that was assembled, that was put together the right way. And this is the problem with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. They're, they just haven't been healthy enough in this series, in their careers, I should say. And Phoenix wasn't really challenged in this series. I, I know they've been challenged in this series, but they were they really challenged? If the other team's missing their two best players, how challenging is it? And I know they've made it look extremely challenging, which maybe is concerning for Phoenix. But at the same time, Phoenix is like, okay, we could just mosey around, figure it out through this series, and turn it on when we need to in later series, just figure out what works in this series. And it's a shame. Um, game... Five is not till Tuesday, but now it's pretty much over as Phoenix has a 3-1 lead. Um, like I said early in the year, they're the biggest question mark. I talked about this when I talked about the NBA. I think one of the first NBA episodes that I did uh, earlier in the year, I talked about the Clippers being one of the greatest one if what-ifs because if they were ever healthy, this team is truly, truly a special team with one of the best coaches in the league. The, the Russell Westbrook resurgence story is an awesome story. There's so many great stories here. And yet, we're never going to see what the full version, what the best version of this team looks like because you just can't get a healthy Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and not at the same time. Now they're both out. And who knows if Kawhi will play in Game 5? I'm not sure. Speaking of injuries, an injury news that just came out is De'Aaron Fox is doubtful for Game 5 with a series tied at 2, heading back to Sacramento. And now De'Aaron Fox, who has been the best player in the series. Yes, I said it. He's been the best player in the series so far is doubtful for Game 5. Game 4 of this series was awesome. Uh, Draymond, after not playing, he comes back. His defense was so good. His Just knowing where to be to cut off De'Aaron Fox on that last play. He had some huge defensive plays where he met Sabonis at the rim on that pick and roll that they like to run. Still, Fox made the right play. Once he saw Draymond standing there, he kicked it out for a, a wing three for Barnes, which is a shot that Barnes can hit. He missed it in that spot. Um, but they almost had a chance to win that game. Fox is so good. Fox makes all the right plays. And Steph Curry, one of the greatest players of all time, makes some mind-numbing mistakes, accidentally calling a timeout there. It's just so not Curry-like. And yet still, he had a, he's a generational talent, generational greatness, and he showed why. He has 32 points. Every time they needed a big bucket in that game, they went back to him. And his points are more demoralizing than anyone else's points. Like when he hits a 30 footer or when he drives to the rim and finishes at the rim with one of those crazy circus shots, it's like, 
we're just screwed. We're done. This guy's doing this now. Like, that's what it feels like with Steph Curry. Um, Fox had a 38 in this game. Those two going at each other in this series is awesome. And I think this series is going to go seven. I hope it goes seven because it's been an awesome series. I don't want to see either of these teams out of the playoffs. I would love to see one of these teams against, you know, Phoenix or LA in the next round, whatever it is. I'd love to see one of these teams move on. I'd love to see both of these teams move on. I'd love, I'd rather watch this team than an injured Clippers team or than Minnesota or Atlanta on the other side or any of these other teams or Memphis. Uh, so it's a shame that one of these teams is going to go home after this series. I just hope we get as many games as possible. But if we want this series to go to seven, if Sacramento wants this series to go to seven, they're going to need our uh, De'Aaron Fox. And if he's hurt in game five, that's going to be huge on Wednesday night at 10 p.m. in Sacramento at home. And maybe someone should tell Kevin Herter that the playoff started. This isn't the three-point contest. You can't just suck. I know he sucked in the three-point contest. They're going to need a much bigger contribution uh, from Kevin Herter if they want to make this series uh, a series, if they want to keep this series going. If they lose game five at home, I think it will end in game six uh, in Golden State. But if they win, they find a way to win game five. I think Golden State will win game six. And then you get a game seven in Sacramento where each of the home teams won the first three games and you have a game seven, winner takes all. Will you have the home crowd make an effect and make an impact for Sacramento? Or will you have um, the the experience, the playoff experience of Golden State shine through in that series? I also liked that Klay uh, Thompson had a nice game for as well. So that's fun to watch. It's fun to watch when this core still keeps going and they just keep coming back for more and more and more. Um, I mentioned that they're not as fun to watch because there's not as many options. But as the series has gone on, as they continue to get more comfortable in this series, you see the Warriors starting to gel more as a team. Uh, let's just see if they can win on the road, something they've struggled with all year. If De'Aaron Fox is not in the game, that's going to be huge. All right, let's shift to hockey real quick as there is a huge game four at Madison Square Garden. Game three was Saturday night at Madison Square Garden. The Rangers lose in overtime. Look, Schmid, the goalie change was huge for uh, the Devils. There's no doubt. They make a good change in net, and I think that got them going. He was really, really good, and it definitely got the, the team going. It energized the team a little bit. Sometimes you make that change just to energize the team, not even about which goalie is better, but you just need to energize the team. I don't think he was that much better. I thought the Rangers played really sloppy. I thought they needed to clean it up. They played a little bit careless in the offensive zone. Their power play was 0 for 5. I don't think that's going to happen again. Um, all that said, the Rangers still outplayed the Devils in game th in game three, which is actually a positive for the Devils because the Devils found a way to win that game. Um, Igor's not going to give up anything easy. Like he gave up a power play goal and he gave up that one goal in overtime. It's the only regulation goal so far that the Devils have had. The Devils are the best or sorry, the only five on five goal that the Devils have had in the series. The Devils have been the best five on five team in hockey this entire season. And that was their first five on five goal. The Rangers have scored six five on five goals in the series. Because what? The goals don't carry over. The Rangers need to come out tonight playing with their heads on fire. The Rangers need to come out and use the MSG atmosphere. And Chris Kreider has been the guy who's been doing this. Just energy, energy, energy. The first, He scores the first goal of the game. Of course he does. He has five goals already through three games. I wouldn't be shocked if he scores again. I think Alex, my money is on Alexi Lafreniere to score a goal in this game because I thought the Rangers power play actually struggled because they were sloppy in game three. I thought the second unit got a little bit more run and actually looked good on the power play. So if Lafreniere gets more run on the power play, 
uh, in game four, I expect him to score on the power play or he could score in regulation because the best five on five, I keep saying in regulation instead of five on five, the best five on five line so far for the Rangers has been the kid line. They just haven't played that much because there barely has been five on five. There's been so many penalties both way. I don't expect as many penalties to be called. So I think the Rangers could actually take advantage of not as many penalties being called in game four by being a little bit more physical with this young Devils team and find a way to score five on five and find a way to use your building to your advantage and control the energy. Because let me tell you something, this is a series now. This this game is huge. And if the Devils win this game and regain the momentum going back home and tie the series at two, the Rangers are in big, big trouble. You can't let that happen. You have to go up at 3-1. You have to demoralize this team. You have to bury them right now. This, in my opinion, it's not a must-win. <laughs> this is I saw Johnny Lazarus tweet this on Twitter today. It's not a must-win game for the Rangers. It's a can't lose. You can't lose this game. You can't let the Devils back into this series with all the momentum going home. That would be really, really bad for the Rangers. The Rangers, I think, will not recover and win this series. They can, but I don't think they'll recover and win this series if they lose tonight. So it's a huge, huge game. Madison Square Garden, 7 p.m., puck drop game four at the garden it's going to be really fun to watch i think this is the most important game of the series every game is super important but i think this is the most important game of this series for both sides i think whoever wins this game tonight will win the series that's my personal opinion and hopefully the rangers find a way to win and put this team away and put this team out in this series i expect the big guys to show up again mika zibanejad where are you i want to see him score a goal panarin he could score a goal. That would be awesome. And I think the kid line will be huge to bring the energy for this team. And Igor, like I said, he hasn't given up anything easy. Let's see him continue to stand on his head and help this team and get the guarding crowd behind him, get the guarding crowd going. If the guarding crowd is popping and the Rangers are playing well, I think the Rangers will take this game. But it can't be a repeat of game three. I still think, like I said, I still think the Rangers played really well and they controlled the pace still, which was the biggest problem I had, the biggest concern I had going into the series, but they couldn't score on the power play. You're going to have to take advantage of your power play opportunities in this game if you get them. I Like I said, I don't think there will be as many power plays for each team. I don't think there will be as many penalties called in this game, but if you get power play opportunities, you're going to have to take advantage and on five on five, you have to bring the energy. You have to con continue to control the pace and to use your building and your crowd to your advantage. And hopefully the Rangers can do that and they can take a commanding 3-1 lead heading back to New Jersey. All right, let's go Rangers. Let's go Knicks. I don't know when the next time I'll talk to you guys is like I said, game four for the Knicks is not till Wednesday night. So I might not do it till after then. Uh, we'll see what happens tonight, Monday night with the Rangers. And until then, see ya. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and road graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones
drive down Riverside See the birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning, we pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 And the Knicks on a sold out night When the curtains close and the Broadway streets are alive I need your heartbeat close, don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air when I land in another city And I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones I'm still here.